0: Paratruth Radio is a proud member of Evergreen Podcasts on KillerPodcast.com. Today's episode is brought to you by LootCrate.com. It's like Comic-Con in a box. Save 10% on any new subscription at www.trylootcrate.com forward slash Paratruth. Enter promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Christian and non-Christian paranormal investigators. They have two different views, and it seems as if neither of them can ever agree on anything. So what happens when a mainstream view of the paranormal crosses paths with a Christian view? So, epic. This is paranormal.
1: What's going on, Paratruthers? Welcome to a brand new episode of Paratruth Radio. My name is Justin. And I'm Eric. And if you're listening for the first time or the hundredth time, make sure you check out paratruthradio.com where you can find past and present episodes, a bunch of different uh, uh, creative stuff by Eric and myself, Eric's movie The Revealed, my new book, The Legendary Creature Project, The Griffin, and so much more. You'll see bios about us, how to contact us, and most importantly, our sponsors. So we're going to get right into the show tonight because it's going to be an awesome one. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. For those of you listening at Radio network.com as well as ParatruthRadio.com, let's get ready to expose some lies. Now Paratruth
0: presents... God's Chariots, with special guest, Ali Siadatan. Today we are joined by a guest who has challenged UFO researchers by asking questions about the origin of the UFO phenomena, hybrid creatures, and the Nephilim through his groundbreaking documentary titled, UFOs, Angels, and Gods. Ladies and gentlemen,
2: please welcome Ali Siyadatan.
1: All right, Ali, welcome to Paratruth Radio. How are you doing this evening?
2: I'm fine, thank you. Very. Thank you for having me.
1: Absolutely. So, before we get started, I wanted to give you a chance to tell everybody how you got started in this documentary, UFOs, Angels, and Gods.
2: Uh, it was a kind of a series of events. It started with a Bible study that I attended, and uh, the teacher was reading Ezekiel chapter 1. It's from the scroll of the prophet Ezekiel, and he asked us to draw what uh, we thought was being described. And to our our surprise, everyone was drawing something that was, you know, UFO-ish. And this kind of shocked me. I'm like, what? Uh, And, and, you know, but it intrigued me because I I was kind of drawing that as well. And for the first time, I was seeing, uh, you know, technology for the lack of a better word. Uh, Obviously, it's not like 20th century science fiction, but it was something in the direction of natural processes. So I started to look into... This whole idea that uh, ancient astronaut theorists had, that you know the earth had been visited, and, and even though I didn't adhere to that line of thinking, but it, the research into s- so many ancient uh, bodies of knowledge that were terribly advanced, uh, that, that, this kind of opened my mind to re-examining the concept of angels, uh, and how is it that they may have come to the earth from the heavens and uh, in, in the scriptures, and as I was looking into all of this, suddenly... Uh, the the Nephilim became very real to us, the gods of the ancient world. And finally, I took a trip to Persia in 1997 where I had a close up UFO sighting and that kind of sealed the deal. I had to look into this phenomenon.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, now there have been many different documentaries discussing UFOs in the Bible.
2: So how does your documentary differ from those? Well, we turned the whole concept on its head by suggesting that the UFO phenomenon was the evidence of the angelic reality that the Bible is describing. Essentially, that God and his angels had entered the physical universe, and with us, we're involved in a cosmic tale. And rather than saying, you know what, aliens exist today, there's UFOs around, they existed back in the day. And the Bible is actually about aliens, which is what a lot of documentaries that mixed UFOs and Bible were doing. They're essentially saying, you know what? The Bible is a book about aliens. And we we're like, no, it's still exactly what it's supposed to be. However, this phenomenon was the empirical evidence of the angelic reality that is mentioned in the Bible. So it demythologizes all of these passages in the Bible that talk about the other that come and go and all the great deeds that these angels do from rolling the tomb off. Uh, Christ's grave, or leading the Magi, or leading Israel out of Egypt, or removing Elijah from the earth, Uh, and all of these things that we see in the Bible that is done through the agency of these other creatures, including the evil ones that, you know, rule the nations, that challenge the Messiah, all of these things became real, and this was the actual evidence. You know, when you look outside the window, you're like, well, where is all of this? Who are these people? Where are they? Or the UFO phenomenon became the evidence for all of this part of the Bible, and then in turn, the Bible put them inside of a story and told them who they were, what they were up to, what their role was. And when we looked into the prophetic writings, it matched what we were seeing today in the UFO phenomenon with the evidence of abductions and the creation of hybrids and all that stuff matched what the Bible said prophetically. And so uh, there was a, a nice um, you know, partnership between uh, the scriptures And this reality. So that's what made our documentary different. We didn't change the characters of the Bible um, by looking at the UFO phenomenon and turning them into aliens. We understood the characters of the Bible perhaps uh, more correctly a a way that no other generation could understand it before us.
1: Okay. All right. So, in your opinion, or, or, or through your research, do you believe that UFOs were actually vessels that? angels, and possibly even the fallen were using?
2: I think that that there's ample evidence in the scripture uh, to say that that yes, because the the Bible talks about the chariots of God. Mm -hmm. Uh, The word in Hebrew that's been translated as chariot actually means vehicle, something you ride. And the only reason it was translated as chariot was because until today there was no other vehicle than chariot. So it was, okay, let's just say call them chariots. Um, so there are vehicles mentioned in the scriptures, uh, and there's you know, interaction between these vehicles and prophets, and, and the, the, God himself is going to return, according to Isaiah 66, in his chariots. It says that God will return with his chariots in Isaiah 66. It says that. Uh, it's an incredible you know, apocalyptic passage. Um, so, yes. Now, on the other hand, you know, we don't want to turn it into 20th century <clears throat> science fiction. Mm-hmm. And, and kind of take where we are in our thinking and then superimpose it on this biblical chariot. And it's, it's, not, it's not like Gabriel gets into this thing and the guy's like, uh, sir, I think we've got a problem with the carburetor. And we've got to, you know, <laughs> stop. It, it's, it's, it's hard to exactly understand it because it's beyond our technology, beyond our thinking. But there is substance to it. They are mentioned many, many passages in, in the scriptures. Now, obviously, God is not a person. But God chose to become a person, Uh, at least we believe that, and walk among us, and he rode on the back of a donkey, and he was at the end of a Roman whip, and he was on a little boat on the Lake of Galilee, Um, and then he was among his angels in these chariots, perhaps. It's not a far stretch to continue the character of the Son of David, you know, the Son of God, into that realm in his clothing. It doesn't limit God. God can be and do anything that he wants, obviously. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and that's actually going to be the next question I asked you, because we see throughout the Bible that God can and has shown up without his chariot. You know, he's everywhere at once uh, and he can hear and do everything. Um, he's shown up as a pillar of smoke during the day and as fire at night. So why do you think uh, God would allow himself to, to even be limited to a chariot when he can simply just ride down on the clouds or just appear uh, as if out of nowhere?
2: Yeah, um, I think he's chosen to be with his creation. It's like when he was walking around the Sea of Galilee, he was speaking in the language of fishermen and shepherds because that's who was he was around. So it's more about with, this is where the created order is uh, with which he's interacting. So he's among uh, his creation, and, and so he's among with us, he's with the angels, and we are the ones who are living on the block we are the ones who are locked in, in, in these realities. So it's more about him, you know, tabernacling with us and, and sharing okay. with our reality. It, it's not really a commentary on his abilities. It's more about how he's created a story and he has entered that story. Um, and now he, this is how it's unfolding. Who knows once the heavenly Jerusalem established and beyond – how reality will change and he will still be able to be with us in the future reality as well. So it's not really a commentary on God. It's about him. You know, he's given laws, you know, when Satan challenges him in the garden of Eden, for instance, um, what does he do? Well, he kind of puts God on trial by tempting Adam, suggesting that he break a law that condemns him to death, according to God's own laws. And Mm. and Adam does that. and, And God carries out his decree. Uh, He doesn't say, well, you know what? I don't really need to work through the decree I myself established. So he's created a natural order. He's created laws. He's created sentient beings. And there is a story unfolding through the very sacred laws of God's creation. And God is kind of operating through it and with it. And this applies to the laws of physics and how you travel. You know, why why did he – Uh, Go through this idea of becoming a man, being born of a virgin, uh, eating, walking, uh, riding on a donkey, dying on a cross. Obviously, you know, he doesn't need to do any of uh, of that unless he wants to be the atonement sacrifice of his own law. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so, so it's not really a commentary on God. It's what he chooses to do and what he seems to have chosen to do is to be in his creation, with his creation, um and and to operate through the laws that he's created uh obviously you know he can break those laws and that's what the miracles are about Mm -hmm. the signs of the messiah where he goes okay i'm the master of this thing so yes it usually works this way but this moment it's going to work like this because my word can create reality right Right. you know he, (laughs) he also chooses to do that all
0: right so it's more so just his way of relating to mankind uh in his own way
2: and the angels, I think so. Right, yeah. okay. I think so. Um, so we're in a story with him, uh, and, and this is where we are in, in the seasons of this tale. You know, this is where we are in that story. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, one thing that ha-
1: Eric and I have talked about is um, UFOs actually being windows or or even doorways from God or the other the other dimension whatever you want to call it hell um what are your thoughts on that do you think that it's more of a, a, a peering scope that we're seeing now with these ufo sightings or is it something different altogether
2: okay uh, that's a great question i i think that in all honesty i don't have enough information about the fabric of the creation and how the universe operates to fully like answer that completely and pronounce myself exactly on one side or the other because I don't exactly know how the universe functions. Right. Uh, like I don't even know how my car exactly functions. And <laughs> so, you know, so, so where I am in the thinking is, okay, it seems that chariots are involved because the scriptures talk about it and people see it, and I saw one. The angels seem to be masters of certain advanced bodies of knowledge, like we see in the Book of Enoch, you know, the past down. It doesn't they're not necessarily operating through magic which is kind of what the traditional church um handed down to us the perspective that we've received and and also at the same time i see um two realities one is the, the heavens as we have come to Noah through, you know it through galileo's telescope over time and this incredible thing we find ourselves in that we, don't, we barely understand but it's out there mm-hmm. the other is this idea that begins with Gnosticism where the physical world is a little bit kind of poo-pooed and the ultimate reality of Gnostic thought is non-physical. And I see that Oregon, who was the teacher of Augustine um, in the 4th century, he really emphasized that and Augustine promoted it, the idea of symbolism, allegory and the spiritualization of things. Um, Yet what I see is that the Messiah – was resurrected in the physical body. He made a point of that. He said, "Look, I'm not a ghost. I have flesh and bone." He invited people to touch his bones and he asked them to give him be fed. He said, "Do you have any fish, food that I can eat?" And they gave him. And it was fish and honey. So the, his physical nature was was really emphasized in Scripture for a reason. And I think the reason is because he's not done with the physical world and and he may be ruling the world out of the city of Jerusalem. But moving forward into christian thought i see with gnosticism with the teachings of oregon and finally the middle ages there is this idea in the middle ages that the focus should not be on the study of the natural order as god's creation but rather on the soul and the christian focus is on the soul and so more and more um, european christianity especially becomes more and more spiritualized um, to the point uh, where we don't really care about the body anymore. It's just like this thing we carry around, like it's a burden. Nearly, we can't wait to just like become a, a spirit. Uh, and God, Christ is a spirit, even though in the scriptures He's resurrected in the physical form. But in Christian thinking, He's a spirit, and He mm-hmm. lives in in the world of spirits. And when we die, we become a spirit with Him. And, and and so more and more, we've kind of lost. So come to the 20th century, there was this research in the 1920s into dimensions. And gradually with quantum physics, I see that it kind of became an in neat way for Christians um, to give clothing, scientific justification to this spiritual realm, um, especially you know, in, on the American dollar bill. There's a, a triangle, a pyramid of the eye on top of it. Underneath it, it says uh, Novus Ordo Secular, which means the new secular order. And and this is the announcing the paradigm that's going to govern the sons of the republic, secularism. And in secularism, one of the pillars is materialism. You only believe what you see. So the Christians of the United States especially really have to make a stake that, no, there's a non-material world that that we as Christians believe in. I know you materialists only don't see through the eyes of faith. So more and more, the mind gets wrapped into the side of this uh, world. But moving back into the scriptures, I see that the Lord – Blesses the physical creation on the six days as he creates it, that he enters it, he's in it, he operates through it, and then he, he he's resurrected as a, as a physical being. And and the resurrected Messiah obviously is the most spiritual thing in the whole Bible. Um, and so on one hand, I don't want to turn it into 20th century science fiction. On the other hand, I don't want to kind of run and, and ghostify it and, and, and have this need to immediately – Make it into this, like, the, forget about the physical universe. Let's just focus in this other realm and how we're right. co- going and coming from it. So, I don't want to kind of go to either of those extremes. At this point, my answer to your question is that I don't see the full picture to pronounce myself one way or another. This is how it works. All I know is that there are vehicles involved and they're mentioned in the scriptures, they're seen by people. How they get here, I don't know. Where do they go? I don't know. How they operate? I don't know. Um, When when I do a study of the word heavens in the scriptures, it's shamayim in the Old Testament, uranus in the New. Um, It means at times where the sky, the birds fly, at times where the sun and the moon is located. At times it talks about the space after the sun and the moon. uh, And at times it talks about the place where God is, the heavens of the heavens, King David writes. The shamayim of the shamayim. So um, how do you move from one to the other? Um, I don't exactly know. Are there portals or gateways? Do you travel for like some time before you get to one of these gateways? Is the ship a gateway? Does it? Is it physical over there? Is it made of light? Obviously, God is filled with light. Is top of the line. Angels are creatures of light. Right. Um, fine. So, I, it's too many gaps of knowledge to nail it down. But I do see a prejudice handed down in, in Christian history that forces us into spiritualization and dimensionality is a modern term for it and i see yet in the scriptures um a blessing of the physical world and, and god operating through it that can't be denied and the lord being himself resurrected in the physical body so i don't want to kind of you know flush uh, the physical world um uh, you know I'll just throw it in the garbage because uh, uh it, it's it's what christians have to do to stand up against materialists like you know what i mean
1: right mm-hmm. yeah i get you yeah, so yeah, absolutely
2: so i can't go either way it's a I'm
0: still looking into that. Um, Now, the one thing I want to do is I want to make a bit of a shift here. Uh, One of the things that you bring up is this modern – this idea of modern-day hybrids and their connection to ancient Nephilim. And and so my first question is, in your definition, what exactly is a modern-day hybrid?
2: Um, In the abduction phenomenon, uh, people who are highly respected in our society with important jobs like judges – professors, doctors, lawyers, people we trust, police officers, um, they were coming forward and talking about this weird thing that was happening to them. They were apparently getting abducted by aliens. Um, and in the early days, when no one had written a book about this, um, and you couldn't read someone else's book and repeat it. They were all saying the same thing. They, the genetic material was removed from them, semen from the men, um, and, and it was mixed in, with something else and put inside the womb of female abductees who then would be pregnant and they'd go to the doctor and the doctor would say, congratulations, you know, you're know, you pregnant. they were like, okay, listen, I, if I had done something to get pregnant, I'd know about it. Um, and the doctor would say, I'm sorry, you are. And then they would get abducted and the fetus would get removed before the end of the first trimester. And so these hybrids were suddenly created and they'd go to their doctor and the doctor would say he had a miscarriage. And, and so uh, uh, you have to see the documentary to get it all in detail. So a hybrid was apparently, according to these testimonies, a mixture of, you know, human and alien, quote-unquote, uh, DNA, I guess. And these hybrids didn't look human at first. Then then DNA was removed from the hybrid and the experiment was repeated until it looks like the third batch. They look very human um and and there are hybrids among us i mean you know, when you go deep into this research you do meet abductees and you do even meet hybrids it's it's not the comfortable thing but it's real um they have places where they live like you know co- collections of townhouses in suburban neighborhoods that they've rented or bought and they all live there um and so the this once we understood that the the gods of the ancient world were the fallen angels according to the scriptures and they did fly around, and, and the UFO phenomenon was not a modern thing, and we kind of followed the breadcrumbs into the 20th century, and now we knew that these guys were actually, according to the Bible, the fallen angels, that there was a unbreakable kind of trace. Suddenly, looking back into the stories that also in the ancient world, they cohabited, not scientifically in a laboratory co-mingling, but they literally you know, had sexual relations with humans, females, mm-hmm. and created – These Nephilim or giants in the Greek, uh, gigantus, um, Nephilim was the Hebrew for it. Suddenly, we could take that literally. The same way that the UFO phenomenon made the story of angels coming and going to the earth real, this modern-day abductions and the empirical evidence that was behind it. The head of psychiatry from Harvard wrote a book in 1994 called Abductions where he explained it was all real to everyone's surprise. The empirical evidence is overwhelming suddenly it was, it was possible to look at these ancient writings and also not to need to explain it away in some way or another. You could take it literally, and suddenly the whole idea of the titans, the demigods, all of these tales from so many civilizations, of course, our ancestors were not mad. They were not just trafficking in mythology over and over again. They knew that something real had been passed down to them, and they understood it as such. They knew that their forefathers weren't mad either. And, and so suddenly... It was wow. The, the secular paradigm really is kind of like a form of, you know, brainwashing. The same way that, you know, if you're raised in the, in the Catholic paradigm or the Islamic paradigm or even, you know, the Protestant paradigm, you're, you're formed with a certain worldview. And the secular paradigm's worldview was telling us this is all just fairy tales. Yet today hybrids were being created. Why not then? And so it was fallen angels mixing with humans to create. Uh, <clears throat> what, you know, the Bible called Nephilim. Mm. Um, but Bud Hopkins in 1983, one of the main researchers, he called it uh, hybrids. He coined that word and that stuck, you know? Mm. Okay.
1: Yeah. So one thing that I had thought about um, as, I, I, as I was watching the documentary a little bit um, is, you know, throughout the Bible, we t- we hear about the Nephilim. We hear that the, the flood was partially due to them polluting the Earth and to get rid of them, but th- then we hear that they're even after the Flood. Do you think in that time the the Nephilim actually used UFOs to escape the Flood?
2: Oh, uh, and they survived somehow? Some right. of them may have survived somehow? That's a very interesting point because there are, in the Mesopotamian uh, account of the Flood, Uh, There is a comparable uh, Noah's Ark story Mm -hmm. where uh, the god Enki, you know, he saves um, uh, some of his family that he chooses, um, as well as um, uh, Gilgamesh. uh, And, uh, you know, there are two – there's a book called The Book of Giants, which is found in the Dead Sea Scrolls, and has some of the Nephilim mentioned by name. And so – I had always understood that as being the fallen angels trying to attribute to themselves the deeds of God for the civilizations that they ruled. Uh, they were you know, writing fairy tales and saying, we are the ones that saved your ancestors from this great flood. Uh, while the Lord God was saying you know, through the Hebrew scriptures, no, I did this. And that's how I always understood it. So I understood that there were no Nephilim that had survived because the book of Enoch says they all killed each other. And then uh, my understanding was anytime we see Nephilim again in history, the same act of uh, breeding them that we see in the Genesis 6 had repeated itself. Like they again had had sexual intercourse and again started new families.
1: Oh, okay. So that was my
2: understanding always, really until hmm. now. Um, it was that, the, that Genesis 6 was kind of giving us a window into this is how these guys are created whenever you may see them. And that's why today there's also a commingling that's creating them. It's an act of creation. Okay. However, there is this, you know, uh, my friend Gary Wayne, uh, he's saying, well, um, yes, this, the Mesopotamian tale uh, of Enki, that is a separate and real tale. And yes, there are Nephilim that survived the flood, and it, it only happened, that act of interaction that mentioned in Genesis 6 only happened once. It, the rest of the Nephilim after the flood are the children of the ones who survived. Um, so I don't know. Again, it's like, I wasn't there. Right. And the Bible is not super, super clear. And if you take it literally, I'm to understand that nothing survived.
0: Right. Right. That's the way I always knew it too. Everybody and everything died, but alas.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Things survived. Uh, You know, there was a, I was reading a long time ago this story about the, um, I think it was the Mayas or the Inca's. That they, they, they were told to go into this high, high mountains because there was going to be a great flood. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and when I look at Noah's family as they branch out, uh, unless they had all the genes in them, like some of them looked, you know, the Chinese gene was in them, the blonde gene was in them, whatever, the red hair, the, and, then, and then some of them, you know, were, were more dark skin gene, the pigmentation was in them. Right. But if people did survive, in extreme places that were not contaminated by the Nephilim, because the purpose of the flood was to destroy the Nephilim. Um, you know, maybe there was no Nephilim, you know, deep into parts of China, and God didn't necessarily kill the humans that were there. I don't know. I'm just making this up. This is just pure theory. Then when Noah's children came out, they started to gradually coming you know, have children with these guys, and 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 they were always Middle Eastern and Mesopotamian, and you know. Wherever the ark settled, probably in Persia, um, they were from around that part of the world, but they may then mixed with people who may have survived in Africa, who may have survived in the depths of China and uh, in other parts of the world, and, and that's how the races may have been, you know, infused by the Adamic race. This is only a theory. Again, I don't have, you know. Evidence, I mean, there are bones that that people point to, like craniums and things like that, and they say, oh, this is like 100,000 years old and this and that. Doesn't mean it wasn't buried under the flood, but um, then they say, well, this one is actually a mixture of something much younger that's only 10,000 years old that came from the Middle East and went all the way to the East and married this much older one, and then they had this thing, this child. Mm-hmm. And then there's like these are how the three craniums are made, are, you know. Again, I'm not a scientist. You know, I can only take the word of scientists. Um, but uh, I'm open to continually seeking prayerfully guidance from God when it comes to understanding the scriptures because it's a complicated book. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to nail it down too quickly. Uh, as my teachers used to say, um, the Bible is always right. But you may have to change your perspective. Right. Uh, so, so, you know, so but to answer your question, my my belief until now has been that it happened over and over again. OK. And that there were enough, ne- you know, the, the uh, rather than some of them having survived,
1: survived, just I, the breeding kept going.
2: Yes. But I see now that there are other teachers who are, try- who are opening the door to possibility that some may have survived.
0: Right.
1: Hmm.
0: It's really interesting. I mean, it's all interesting. The fact that they might have survived or, uh, you know, were recreated Uh, and your theory about the the genomes uh, of the individuals, you know, being able being able to create other people or uh, uh, I should say, I guess it depends on how you put it, but new race, different races and stuff like that. Um, You know, one question that's constantly comes up. Uh, in our chat, and I've been asked, is regarding Noah's Ark and the animals on it. You know, how is it that we have so many different types of animals today? It, you know, considering you can only fit so many on the ark. And the one thing that I learned when I was in school, um, and again, it was also a theory, uh, is the idea of microevolution as to Darwinism. Uh, so so we're not talking about going from an ape to a human, but in this case, little tiny bits of evolution uh, such as a wolf evolving into a dog or a pig evolving into a boar when it's released into the wild, things like that. Uh, and so I think you know, going along those lines of the genome is actually probably right along the line that, that's probably most, I would say popular, but I think it would be the most common or likely <laughs> possibility, you know?
2: Yeah. Right, yeah. The, 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 the idea that um, uh, you look into Genesis like 1, and um, mm-hmm. God talks in the plural, like, you know, uh, let us make man in our image. And then later on it says, oh, man has eaten from this tree and has become like one of us. Um, and let's bar his path to the tree of eternal life so because we don't want him to be eternal in this, you know, fallen state. Uh, so God is talking in the plural. And traditionally the church has understood that to be the trinity. Right. But the, what the word in the Hebrew used in those passages is Elohim, and what we discover is that that word actually refers, it means, it's translated all over the Bible as gods, like the gods of Egypt, uh, you know, the gods of as it's it's, they're called Elohim. In fact, uh, the master passage is Deuteronomy 10:17, where it says that the Lord, or Yahweh, is the God of gods, the El of the Elohim. And so God is associated with these guys as their leader, or, or it says that he judges in the congregation of the Elohim and the congregation of the mighty in Psalm 82, 6. So there's a relationship. And they're also told to praise him. They're judged by him. Um, they're told to worship him in various passages. Uh, so God does talk about these guys as real beings, these gods, and um, uh, is presented as their leader. And, and so once I understood that, that, that the word Elohim sometimes referred to other beings— Going back into Genesis, it was like, what if this is not actually the Trinity? Let us make man in our image. It's actually this whole assembly of this ruling order uh, of which God is the head of. And there's a multitude of them. It's like a council. And and maybe different beings were made in the image of various ones. But then we focus on the story of Adam. Because in the story of Adam, we suddenly switch from the plural to the singular where it says that The Lord God made Adam in his image. And there, for the first time, the name of God is introduced, Yahweh Elohim. And suddenly the one who is later on called the God of gods. And this guy is different. He's not told to go and live everywhere and populate the whole earth. He's told to sit put in the garden. And he doesn't have a female counterpart, actually, for some time. He's not made male and female right off the bat. And and he has the breath of life breathed into his nostrils from God himself, and then he's given the kind of you know, environment where it's filled with domesticatable animals, uh, not wild animals, and he's given the kind of vegetation that can be farmed because he's presented to us as the first of the farmers The the, wor- the idea of farming is introduced in relation to his creation, that Adam was made to till and toil the ground, to cultivate the ground suddenly the, the reader is brought to the age of farming, to the age of domesticated animals, to the age of the kind of vegetation like wheat and barley that can be farmed. And and, and people look into the genetics of plants, are astonished at a sudden leap between the wild variety of wheat and barley and the, the type that can be cultivated with twice a year yield that comes from this area in the world, you know, called the Fertile Crescent, which is around where Adam and Eve were placed. And and, and Abel, you know, he he was a a shepherd and Cain was a farmer, these two roles. But to do this, you need the kind of animals that you can actually domesticate and the kind of vegetation you can farm. Now, way back in the fourth phase of the creation story, we were told that vegetation was introduced and you need that for oxygen. However, maybe that would have been the wild. So there may have been A multitude of beings and God at the helm, and and, and they may have been, you know, uh, humans made in the image of these guys, of this council, and then finally Adam made in the image of the God of gods, of the creator of them all. You know, he was special. And when he leaves the garden and his family leaves the garden, they're exiled, they begin to mix uh, with the other ones, Um, and this leads us all the way into the flood. But how many of these other ones may have survived the flood because maybe they lived so far away from where the Nephilim contamination happened? These are very controversial ideas. I was right. basically uh, kicked out of a show once for saying that the flood may have not been global the way we understand the world. It would have been globalism. It would have killed everything that needed to be killed at that time. But maybe there was no one living in Australia and there was no one need to drown Australia. Right. Um and, and that was not, you know, not, not welcome. So I don't want to ruffle any feathers because I don't know the truth is, you know, uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, however, I'm willing to to weigh these things in the light of Scripture and and think about it. Uh, you
0: know. Well, wasn't it, I mean, because of sin in of itself, uh, not only affected mankind, but affected all living things, hence the reason God killed everything and only spared the few that were on Noah's Ark, um, so I mean, I, I feel like that'd be one reason why it would have been a global flood, you know, uh, to, to destroy all living things since the sin started to creep in and over all the land. Not um, yeah, to yeah.
1: mention the giants yeah. in multiple areas as well, because there are stories of giants in Native American lore as well here exactly. in the Americas.
2: Exactly, mm-hmm. but are these post-flood giants or pre-flood right, giants? Right,
1: right, yeah.
2: Um, like, for instance, Daniel uh, praises the king of Babylon, and he says to him that everything that's under heaven has been given to his authority. And then every, you know, he goes on by saying that every every living thing, and even the birds, and everything is under his authority. Um, yet, well, the Indians were not. The Indians of, like, East Indians, you know, were not under his authority. The Chinese were not under his authority. Um, you know, even the Greeks were not under his A lot of people, you know, from Daniel's point of view— of being, you know, a guy from Jerusalem and all that stuff. Yeah, everything that was important was under his, ma- this man's authority. But by even at that time, the whole earth wasn't. It was just the way you spoke. It was very honorific. It was passionate. It was respectful. You, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, you know. So it kind of challenges the idea of how the biblical uh, characters understood global and how we understand global, mm-hmm. um, in, you know. So... Um, Definitely, you know, there is something to be said for that. However, um, it seems that, yeah, we're we're to assume that everything was killed, Noah's family was left alive, and the uh, stuff that was in the boat, in the ship. And here's a good example, by the way, of how God works for the natural order. What does he do? He spares certain DNA, and he reintroduces it into the biosphere after the flood. But obviously, God has the power of making it all just disappear and reappear again Mm
0: -hmm. right
2: but when he goes through this process of you know getting this guy to build a whole ship and gather all these animals and keep them for a whole year and then feed them and this and that them and then put them back in uh, this is how he chooses to do this reintroduction of the dna into the biosphere rather than poof poof right right over over again i see that god works through process the processes Mm. of creation
1: All right.
0: Well, let me ask one more thing. here. I know we're getting close to the end of the show here, but um, uh, jumping back a little bit, you you had mentioned how you think there's a possibility, uh, despite what some uh, teachers say uh, in regards to Genesis account, uh, when God says, let's make man in our image, you you said that some believe that, or most believe even, that God's speaking to the Trinity. And you said that maybe he's speaking to these other gods that may or may not have existed at the time. But isn't there a possibility that we see transition throughout the scripture where at the beginning, maybe he is talking to the Trinity, but then as the angels had fallen and demons start to uh, take their place uh, as authority on the earth, that there suddenly there's these new gods that people are following, such as I think the name is Bel, uh, who is the, uh, the sun God, uh, which God is mentioned in the Bible. I know he mentions a couple of different gods in the Bible as well, but
2: right, right. That's a great question. In, in Psalm 82, verse one, It says, God has taken his place in the divine council in the midst of the gods. He holds judgment. Uh, Right? So God has taken Mm -hmm. his place in the divine council in the midst of the gods. He holds judgment. Also, in the book of Job, I think it's in around verse, chapter 38, around verse 7, around there. It says, God says to Job, you know, were you here when I created the earth? And the sons of God... Cried out for joy, and so God was not alone at the creation of the planet. Uh, this is before even life was put on it. Um, so the, the, these, these guys were there uh, at the time of the creation. Uh, they are part of a council that God, you know, is ruling over. Uh, and I think it's in the First or Second Kings 22 where there's an actual conversation between God and His council recorded, uh, where God puts. A question to the council, and one of them says, "I will go and be a lying spirit in the mouth of uh, uh, the, these prophets in Israel uh, to test." So it's and God says, "Okay, yeah, go ahead and do that." So there's even a little cam; the camera even zooms into into that place. Um, and um, you know, the conversation between Satan and Eve. Satan says to Eve, "If you eat from this, you'll become like one of the gods, knowing good from evil." So obviously, she was aware. That there was more than just God because you know she wasn't surprised that she knew Satan was one of these guys and there was more of them. Satan was pointing to them. And there's this very powerful passage in Deuteronomy 32 verse 8 and 9. It says, when the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. So when when he fixed the borders of the peoples according, you know, he he divided mankind and fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. But the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted heritage. So there's this God distinguishes Jacob from the other nations that he cast out of Tower of Babel. But then there's these spiritual forces behind them, the sons of God, and there's a spiritual force behind Israel, the God of Israel. And then from there we see this battle between um, Israel and the nations, between their God and their gods, and, in their, and like in the Exodus passage where God says that He will judge the gods of Egypt. So, so definitely the plurality of these beings goes back all the way into before the creation of anything on the earth, at the, at the genesis of the uh, planets' creation, carries into the narrative from the get-go. There's a relationship established between them and the nations, like. You look at Daniel chapter 10, where an angel is coming to give Daniel a message of scriptural importance. 21 days after Daniel has started to pray and fast, and the angel says to him, God was not angry at you. When you prayed 21 days ago, he sent me right away, but the prince of Persia withstood me for 21 days. And I had to call Michael, your chief prince, to come and place me in the fight so that I could come and deliver this message to you. So definitely... Uh, there was a power behind Persia. it was not the you know just the human leader of, of Persia fighting this great angel come from heaven you know he wasn't with his slings and arrows it was the spiritual power behind the Persia and and it's and the angel says afterwards I'm gonna to have to go and fight the Prince of Greece and a few hundred years after Persia after the time of Daniel, the Greeks became the masters of the world and and so I guess the spiritual force that's behind them was given. Authority by the prince of this world and of course satan himself says to the lord all the i have dominion all dominion has been given to me over all the kingdoms of the earth and i will give them to you if you worship me so definitely um it's possible to believe that from the get-go even at the creation of of humans on the sixth day of creation they may have god may have been here with his counsel, and then Adam is distinguished in the narrative because he was made in the image of the God of gods. You know, of so mm-hmm. I, I, I think it's possible uh, that 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 is how the scripture is talking about it because the spirit of God that hovers over the waters that is the spirit of God. It's its own thing. Uh, but these beings in whose image other beings can be created, the imagers, this is a different thing. Uh, you know, we create images, we create, we have kids as well and we create little. but we're beings and we have kids like ours. So these guys were kind of like us and they, they traveled in the heavens. And so we're, we're doing that. And we had all kinds of knowledge from them. Like we built cities and we have architecture and mathematics and writing and astronomy. And these guys have that stuff too. We see that in the book of Enoch. So it's, it's not the same as the Holy Spirit, I'd say,
1: Mm -hmm.
2: the gods. All
1: right. All right, Ali, so it is getting time to let you go, so I wanted to give you a chance to tell everybody where they can find you, find the documentary, any other works you have, any other projects going on, the floor is yours.
2: Thank you. Um, uh, people can go to my website, thinkagainproductions.com. They can watch the documentary for free, UFOs, Angels, and Gods, and they can sign up for our newsletter and to just to get information as it comes out. Um, they can go to the YouTube channel. Uh, that's where the documentary is lodged. And they can sign up for the YouTube channel. So I'm going to be putting up lots of more videos so they can see those. Um, and please comment or ask any questions underneath the YouTube uh, video, and I'll be glad to you know, respond to your comments uh, or, or email me any questions you have. Uh, I'm working on a book as well as in a new documentary called Goliath Rising. Um, and, uh, uh, yeah, that's it.
1: Alright Ali, thank cool. you so much for taking time out of your evening to talk to us and maybe well, somewhere thanks. down the road we will have
2: you on again soon Wonderful, anytime. Have a great evening guys It's been a pleasure. Thank Same you to you. You, too. Thank you
1: Thank you, you. bye
2: bye Cheers. Don't you know that
0: you're grown up
1: All right, folks. So that was Ali. Said out of ten, um, definitely check out the the website. I will leave it in the show notes below to to check out his production company as well as check out the YouTube video UFOs, Angels, <clears throat> and Gods. <clears throat> so he gave us a lot to think about. Um, you know, in in the Bible specifically, I mean, the ancient astronaut theorists have. Say that's that's the proof of a- aliens visiting us in antiquity, and you know it was good to hear the other side as well. So, in, and I'm sure I I know your opinion, but in your opinion, did did his opinion state that there really is proof of UFOs in in the Bible?
0: I mean, th- this has been something that we've discussed. Many times, I think, on on Parachute Radio, and I know it's been discussed in the past on our other shows, Um, one of the most convincing things regarding UFOs is, of course, Ezekiel chapter one, which he mentioned. Uh, And if you read it yourself (laughs) – it's very clear. It seems like it's a UFO. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, I think at the same time, there is a lot of symbolism in there as well. And it's really going to come down to one's perspective uh, and how they ultimately translate the scripture. Uh, and I think that's the biggest issue we have here because we have many people uh, who will translate scripture differently, just one single passage. right? Um, and, and that's kind of tough because, you know, many times you, you believe that you're right, but then somebody else believes they're right. And in something like this, I think, when it comes to Ezekiel and the UFO conspiracy, uh, or in this case theory, um, it, it doesn't really matter as long as you believe in the basics. Uh, as long as you all agree that Jesus Christ is God and that he came to earth died on the cross for our sins and rose again. And when they come back, then you, you know everything else doesn't necessarily matter. There are some things, obviously, small details that do. They're very important for salvation. But believing that UFOs are in the Bible, not important to your salvation. You know, God's not going to say, oh, you believe that's a UFO? You're going to hell then. <laughs> He's not going to do that. It's not God. But, you know, I mean, it, it's interesting. I don't know. It's uh, it, Like I said, it, it's convincing when you read it. But at the same time, you have to remember that some of these – uh, the individuals in the Bible, in this case Ezekiel, is trying to explain something that he's seeing using human terms and understanding. Uh, so what might look like a flying disc, as he's saying it, may not be anything near a flying disc, you know? He's mm-hmm. just trying his best to translate it uh, so that we'd understand it. And, and we see that a lot with the description of God, you know, the fire in his eyes and arms and legs like bronze and, gl- you know, white like lightning, et cetera, et cetera. You, you see that they're all termed, they're, they're using human terms to explain someone who's you know not human <laughs> not human he's god you know he's a spirit uh so yeah you know i mean i, I don't i don't disagree but i can't agree either I'm, i'm indifferent really because on this like way. you it's, said it's you, you
1: weren't say. there to to see it, so you don't right really there.
0: Yeah, I mean, I wish I was. I wish I was exactly getting a time standing. machine and be like, and
1: I could,
0: yeah, and I yeah could there is UFOs. Saying, like, yeah, I could sit here saying, yeah, I know all about it because I saw it myself. I was there. I'm Ezekiel. No, no, that's blasphemy. No, it's not. Anyway,
1: well, it's uh, um, I mean, it is interesting because I mean, like I said, the ancient uh, astronaut theorists already claim it. So to see if brought up from the other side is pretty interesting and mm-hmm. um you know he had mentioned that the the word chariot in the bible from the hebrew word means more so m- more so vehicle than an actual chariot because all they had at the time was chariots as vehicles
0: mm-hmm. but
1: um i mean a vehicle could be mean anything it doesn't even need to be a ufo to to be a vehicle yeah
0: i mean it, it- Let's put it this way. When you read the Bible, you do see things uh, that very much show that God has vehicles of some sort or transportation of some sort mm-hmm. when he wants to use them. So when you read the book about Elijah and Elisha, uh, we see there's a moment where uh, Elijah and Elisha are, I believe they're both there, are cornered by an army. And they Elijah prays to God that he'll blind them. And that's what he does. God Blinds them and allows you to be able to look around and see thousands upon thousands of angels in their chariots standing guard, ready to protect him. Showing that, hey, I'm here to protect you. Um, and so, in that case, you we see chariots. We also see in the Book of Revelation that Jesus comes back riding a white horse. You know, I mean, he he's riding a horse. That goes to show that he there is transportation of some sort, and mm. there's a reason that they do it. You know, it's I think just like Ali said. Uh, it's a way of god relating to humanity you know bringing himself down and he's already done it once in a in a literal term where he brought himself down to man you know mm. in the f- flesh uh and became like man and etc cetera, etc cetera. that that's literally what we call in the christian church going from riches to rags that's what jesus did so that we here on earth can go from rags to riches um but yeah you know i think it's just it's just one mode in which god likes you know he likes to use it to relate to us and i I think it's it's pretty cool
1: well i like to think that in the end times jesus will be driving a white ford mustang (laughs) i don't think he's gonna do that horse mustang it's it's gotta be true right (laughs) oh goodness (laughs) so I think that's uh wraps up with uh UFOs Angels and Gods. I think I think it's a pretty good concept because like I said we've heard it from the one side we I don't think we've really heard it from the other side as to what these vehicles are are saying.
0: No, not to this extent. And you know what I liked about this this episode too is that Ali was able to or willing to discuss his theory on a couple of different things. Not just UFOs, but also the Nephilim, uh, also the idea of gods and whether or not there are other gods or, you know, what they might be, you know, obviously things that you and I There there are things he said that, you know, I don't agree with. There are things that we do agree with and vice versa, I'm sure. Um, But nonetheless, you know, it's still interesting to hear these theories. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And it's it's and it's refreshing, actually, to hear it uh, from the Christian perspective like this. Um, You know, he said controversial and it's true. Much of what he said would be controversial, Mm -hmm. you know, especially in the Christian church. So, uh, yeah, definitely pretty cool. It's fun. All
1: right. So next week, folks, uh, the. Mike gets turned around on me, Eric will be interviewing me about my new book, The Legendary Creature Project, The Griffin. So if you have not picked up a copy, I will leave the links in the show notes below so that you can get a copy before next week's show and kind of understand what Eric is asking me about. Um,
0: And of course, if not, then just wait. It's okay. Hold (laughs) off until you hear the interview get an idea of what it's about and then go purchase it either way you're going to
1: end up purchasing it so if you're big into science fiction i think you'll you guys will like this book so definitely at least browse it i would love for you guys just to even give me some some uh feedback on it from the descriptions
0: also you'll notice we didn't have a commercial break this week where my trailer played therefore i just want to give you guys a heads up if you haven't seen the revealed yet go check it out you can find it at paratrooth.com you can also find it at, at Ericskerbeck.com or simply uh, go onto YouTube and type in The Revealed. I believe it'll come up that way as well. Uh, so if you're into the idea of aliens and Nephilim uh, or demons, aliens and demons, or whatever, uh, or the combination, check it out. I kind of play along those lines, uh, letting you decide what's real and what isn't. So good fun film, I think. You know, I'm
1: not just saying it because I made it, but <laughs> check it out, guys. It's still up and it will be so. Well, I do have to say, even because I try to be as biased as possible, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And my wife, Shelly, also was like, I want more. What, what happened? <laughs> What's going on? So definitely check it out. Like uh, Eric said, there it's in the show notes. So definitely just click any of the links and you'll find it. And, uh, you know, make sure you check out all the shows on FringeRadioNetwork.com as well as RadioAndPodcast.com. Uh, we've got some amazing shows on both of those. So until next week, folks, where you will find us same time, same channel. My name is Justin. And I'm Eric.
0: Peace. If you enjoyed this episode of Pure Radio and you would like to listen to it again or are interested in listening to any of our past episodes, then you can find them at Stitcher, Blueberry, TuneIn, iTunes, Spreaker, YouTube, iHeartRadio, and the Fringe Radio Network
1: or for a one-time fix of all of your paratruth needs, simply drop in to paratruthradio.com. And of course, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter and Instagram for brand new updates on our show every day. Finally, we love bringing you fresh, entertaining media each and every week, but we can't do it without you. So please check out our Patreon account. Simply go to paratruthradio.com, click on the Patreon logo, and help us to continue bringing you the latest and greatest in paranormalism. Hannah. And I'm Audrey.